Thank you guys for sharing. That's a, that's a great song. It's a confession that the early church said a lot. And Kevin, I bet you don't know this, but it just I just thought about this. The first time I met you or saw you sing, you sang that song. It was at Bridging the Gap, just on the piano by himself. I was like, man, that guy's a pretty talented guy. But I thought what a, it was a great song, that confession of... And as we sang that, do you realize what we said? What did we say? What was the last part of that? We what? We believe it. We really believe it. And um, after some events of this week, we need to really believe that God's in control, don't we? Um, Been kind of a rough week. Well, when I was a a youth minister several years back, um, I was at this one church for five and a half years, Mount Carmel Christian Church over in Stone Mountain, and uh, was really a lot of fun for me. Uh, loved being a youth minister. And uh, one of the things um, that I had kind of got started as a tradition at that church is on Sunday mornings, our, our students would all gather, and we had a gym there, and they would gather in the gym, and we would have bleachers that were down. They'd all sit in the, in the bleachers and just kind of talk before we split up into these rooms that were off the gym. And, you know, the ninth graders would go here, the middle schoolers would go here, and, you know, split up the different age groups. But before we did that, every Sunday morning, we'd get in this big circle in the gym, and we would say the Lord's Prayer together. Y'all familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Now, some of you might say, yeah, I know that. You probably said it before football games or with other people before, and some of you are probably going, what? What is that? Don't know what you're talking about. Because you're not allowed to do that in school anymore, or at least not like you used to at some point. But I remember as we would, we would say that prayer, and that was a prayer that Jesus' disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray, and Jesus gave us this model prayer. And part of that prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And some of y'all are probably mouthing that as I say that. And um, so that, when we said that, I wondered sometimes, are these students just saying this? Are these just words? Is this just become a ritual to us, or is it something that's really important? Now, when you do something over and over again, it has the opportunity to become a tradition that's very important to you, or it can also become something that you've done over and over again that just becomes ritual. And I don't know where in our minds and our hearts one changes and the other takes over, whether it becomes important and tradition, or is it just a ritual and it doesn't really mean anything. I don't know. But I thought about as we said that prayer every single Sunday morning for five and a half years, I thought, do we really, do we really as Jesus followers, are we truly singing, uh, seeking to bring God's kingdom and to do his will in every aspect of our life? Or is that just something we say on Sunday morning and then as soon as we leave, we just kind of do whatever we want to do for our personal kingdom? It was a tough question to answer then. It was a convicting question then, and I think it's even a a tough and convicting question for us today. And as I watched again uh, the events of our, our country this year, in, from 2020 and then leading into this past week, I'm convinced that there are a lot of differing opinions, a lot of different ideas and concept of what the kingdom we live in should look like. Are y'all convinced of that? We are very polarized on what the kingdom should look like. And people have done a lot of things in the last year and this week to try and force their idea of of what the kingdom should be like. And mostly those ideas and behaviors come, I really believe, from fear and worry 
that the kingdoms we perceive in our minds or our hearts that are right and true are either not going to come about or they're not going to be here anymore. And those fears and those worries cause us to say things and to do things that sometimes are um, irrational and crazy. And I started a new series last week called On Earth As It Is In Heaven because I thought about that prayer. If we are going to be Jesus followers and say that we follow Jesus Christ, we are citizens first and foremost of His kingdom. And people that are citizens of His kingdom have to believe and when we pray, Lord, let Your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven, then we really actually have to do things in our lives and believe things that point people to Him and His kingdom, not to some other kingdom. And I hope that we can consider this kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish and consistently taught about. But as I mentioned last week, when Jesus talked about the kingdom that He taught about so much and that He lived out, it was misunderstood by many. In the Old Testament, when we read, in the Old Covenant, we read about this kingdom that's coming in this Messiah that's going to usher in this new kingdom, this kingdom of God. And the Old Testament prophets wrote about it and people were anticipating this kingdom. Jeremiah wrote about a king who would reign wisely and would do what is just and right in the land. And it was hoped that Jesus would be that king, that long-awaited king that Israel and a lot of the rest of the world also had longed for. But when Jesus taught about his kingdom, many times it brought, as I said last week, offense to people. It brought confusion to people because they go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what did you just say? What did you just say in that parable that the kingdom is like what? That's not what God's kingdom is like. God's kingdom is power. It is authority. And he rides on a white horse and he sits on a throne and he takes over everything. And when Jesus taught, he talked about different things. And people went, that's, that's not what God's kingdom's like. That's not what kings do. They aren't born in a manger. They don't work as a carpenter until they're 30 years old and then decide to do something to clean up the world. But that's exactly how Jesus operated. And he kept talking about this kingdom. And it did confuse people. And it did bring some people to anger. Why? Because Jesus' kingdom taught about and establish and live was not the kingdom they were looking for. And you know what? The kingdom that God has established is not the kingdom that some of us are looking for. You see, they were looking in Jesus' day in that first century, they were looking for a nationalist kingdom that was all about Israel and their power. A kingdom in which their kingdom and their will, the way they saw justice and righteousness, would be done. A kingdom in which they would have or at least have a share in power and authority and wealth. But when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when we read about Jesus, his teaching of the kingdom stood all those ideas of power and authority and wealth on their head. And as Jesus started his ministry at age 30, we looked last week at this temptation or this testing that Jesus got when he went out in the desert and the devil came to him. And what did the devil start with right out of the chute? Jesus, now you're starting your ministry. This is what it needs to be about, those very things that the world wanted as part of their kingdom, power and wealth and authority. And he tried to entice Jesus to do those in his ministry Right from the very beginning. But as we read last week, Jesus rejected all of those attempts to take shortcuts 
to use a strong arm, the right-handed power to establish kingdom. See, Jesus, as John tells us in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That means Jesus was at the beginning of creation. And he has watched all of history unfold. Although he came to earth as a person, he knows that all of, of earth, all of history has unfolded in front of him. And there have been those tactics in the world trying to establish a kingdom since the beginning of history. And guess what? Jesus watched them all fail. Even Israel had judges, had leaders, and they go, no, we want a king like everybody else. And God goes, why do you want a king? I'm your king, but we want a king like everybody else around us. And God says, okay, you want a king? And when we read the Old Testament, it's really fun. I encourage you to do that. Read the Old Testament. It's a part of who God is. It's a part of who we are. And you read about bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, Uh, okay king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king. That's the way it was if you read all through their history. The kings as humans could never be what God was. They couldn't do it. But people tried to put their, uh, their trust in a king that he would fix everything. And it never happened. And Jesus knew this. Jesus was committed to God's kingdom. He was committed to God's will, to God's righteousness and God's timing the way God wanted it. And he stayed laser focused throughout his whole ministry on that in every aspect of his life. Not just when he was at the temple, but in every aspect of his life. So today I want us to look at a text from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And Jesus, in this passage through, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, 6, and 7, are what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read that, it's a great thing to read. I encourage you to go read that. I'm not making fun because some people grew up in church hearing all this stuff and some people, maybe you out here today, have not. And it's great stuff and you need to read it and really know what Jesus said. But in this particular part we're going to read, Jesus has been teaching um, to the people about a lot of different things and he knows as he's teaching and he knows in his 30 years, he's watched people and they're anxious. They're worried like a lot of us. They know what's happening in their country. In this first century, it was not what they wanted their country to be like. They were under the thumb of Rome, and they saw more stuff coming that bothered them. And Jesus knows this is as his teaching, but listen to what he says. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor. They do not spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that? It does, doesn't it? 
So in Matthew 5 through 7, like I said, Jesus is talking about these things, this Sermon on the Mount. And right before our text, Jesus has been talking about where our treasure is, the things that we store up on earth thinking that it's going to be valuable but not realizing. You can't take that with you. You can't put that in your coffin. And even if you do, it's not really going to be there. And he challenged people. And he said this very convicting phrase. He told us here is that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You remember Jesus saying that? Where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. It's going to follow. Your heart's going to follow where your treasure, where you put everything that you value in your life. And then he says you can't serve both God and money because you will hate one and love the other. You will serve one and you won't serve the other. You can't do both. And so that leads him into one of those little phrases that we use to connect the next thought, and that was therefore, and then he goes into all this about worry. He goes, I know because you are worried. Jesus has been watching people. He has seen and experienced how people think, how they're doing in his community as a carpenter. People would come in and he would build stuff, and they, he would listen to them, and they would listen to him. And he could sense this sense of worry and anxiety that people had. So he asked this series of rhetorical questions to his audience and ultimately to us to get them to consider what is of first importance in their lives and in our lives. So Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God, that in his kingdom, God is very aware of your fears. Now, you may be sitting there today and think, God doesn't know my fears. Yes, he does. I don't know how he does that, y'all, but he does. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows exactly what you're worried about, whether it's your health or your finances or the test you're going to take at school tomorrow or whatever it is. He knows about all of that. And God addresses our our real fears of failure and replaces those fears with a confidence, a security, and a peace that reminds us that him... God, the real king, is very much aware of and takes care of those in his kingdom. And that's us. That's all of humanity throughout history. And we honor the king when we don't fear. How many times in the Bible, lots of times in the Bible, it says fear not because he already knows. We're scared, we're anxious. Fear not. But when we honor the king, we don't fear, we don't worry, and we put our trust and confidence in him. Because when we just... When we worry, when we show that we're concerned and we're not really trusting of his kingdom and will, we display a lack of faith in God and in his kingdom and in his will. And we show a lack of trust that can hurt our relationship. And you go, oh, God, understand. That's not hurting our relationship. Let me put it to you this way. How many times in your relationships do we have issues because we don't trust the other person? Don't be elbowing anybody. But we do. How many times in our relationships are they affected when, by our lack of trust and confidence in someone, by our constant worry and fear or even nagging of someone? When you say to someone, they tell you they need you to do something or handle something, you go, I got this, I'll take care of it. And you want them to take care of it, but instead you get this reaction from the other person. Do you really got that? Are you sure you got that? Because I would, and then you tell them how you would do it. Um, you should do it, and you start telling them how they should do it your way. And why haven't you done it yet or done it that way yet? And the person that is supposed to do that all of a sudden feels like, you, you don't trust me. And it hurts our relationships, doesn't it? 
We know it's true. We experience this, whether it's with our kids or with our spouse or with a, 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 a person we work with and our bosses ask us to do something and we got this and they want to always, you know, they're hanging over us, micromanaging us. No one likes that. And I thought about, you know what? God must feel like that sometimes. After this week and, and we're going nuts, and going, oh, the world's coming to an end. The person I voted for didn't win or they did win and now it's all going to be different. Is it really? Is it really going to be different? I don't know. But in doing that worry and that concern and all that crazy, we tell God, I'm not sure you got this. I'm not sure you got it because I thought this was going to happen. I thought for sure this was going to do be this way, and it's not happening. So are you, have you lost control? Wake up. You're asleep at the wheel, God. And he's not, y'all. So Jesus knows that even in that first century, there were people that were worrying that God wasn't really knowing what was going on. And he takes something very simple in life that everybody can relate to and talks about birds. He sees their worrying as he's teaching. He goes, think about the birds, y'all. They're not frantic. They sing, but not frantically. Now, maybe a mockingbird. I don't like mockingbirds. You don't like mockingbirds? I'm always messing with my cats. And they're just annoying. But most other birds, every morning that I've woken up in my life, I have heard birds singing. Anybody else? Every day that I have woken up, even when I've been in other countries in different parts of the world, different birds, different sounds, but I have heard birds in every country every morning that I've ever been alive. And what that says to me is, is that Jesus was right on with this illustration. Not that he needs me to tell him that. But I go, he's right. And as people are listening to this, they go, they're right. Consider the birds. They don't sing frantically. They sing beautifully. They build. They eat. Have you ever watched a, a bird just pecking around in the grass in your yard? And he goes, what is he doing? Is he getting a worm? Is he getting a flea? What is he getting? But they're not going, what am I going to do? There's no food here today. Craig and his family forgot to put out the bird seed they bought at Walmart. No, they're not worried about that. They're not worried about that. How many of y'all have had a bird build a nest in your garage or in your carport or in a little cubby somewhere, and you go, wow, how did they do that? And I, I've been, um, you know, trimming hedges. Uh, what is it, this or, or this, whatever. It's trimming hedges, all right? And, and you, you run into a bird's nest, and you go, oh, no, man, I just disrupted their home, and you feel bad. But as you look at their nest, you see the straw, you see strings, you see pieces of garbage, and you go, man, are they resourceful. And I think, we're the ones that tore up their homes. They wanted to have trees, but now they've got to build it somewhere else because we just you know, want to concrete everything. And I'm not an environmental wacko, no, I'm just saying. The reality is we've taken a lot of the birds' homes, and you know what? They don't panic and go on strike and say, we're not flying anymore, we're not singing anymore. No, they trust that God's going to show them how he created them to do to get through that season of their life, and they'll find another place. They'll find some more food. They always do, don't they? They don't worry. They don't panic. They expect, and they respond and endure and enjoy the season that comes next. The seasons come. They'll always be a little different. The seasons are always different. But the birds continue to do what they were created to do regardless and then Jesus says, as everybody's relating to the birds, they're going, yeah, he's right. Why are we so worried and anxious? And he says, are you not more valuable than the birds? Jesus said this. And it doesn't mean he doesn't love animals. He just said, you're more valuable than the birds. Are you not? And everybody's going, yeah, Jesus, you're right. 
we are more valuable than birds. You do look out for us. You know what's going on. And then he says, by worrying, can you add a single hour to your life? No, Jesus, you're right. I can't add a single hour to my life. I got it. You got this. And then Jesus gave them and us another example, lilies. He said, consider the lilies. They don't labor or spin, and they have these incredibly beautiful colors, textures, these creative flowers and leaves. And then he says, not even Solomon. Now, some of us may go, Solomon, who was that? Wasn't paying attention in class that day. Um, didn't go to Sunday school. Solomon, when they said Solomon to that first century group, they all went, Solomon, yeah. One of our greatest, most powerful kings. At his reign after his father David, Solomon was the most, he was the richest, most powerful man in the world, literally. And kings and people from all over the world came to him to ask his wisdom and see all the things that he had done. He was a powerful man. But they also brought him all kinds of clothing and colorful garments and gold and all these jewels and all these things. And so they know that when Solomon the king was dressed, it was amazing. And he says, the flowers of the field that God has created, not even Solomon and all his splendor was dressed like them. That's God's creation. And if God clothes the fields like that, won't he clothe you? And people again are going, yes, Jesus, you're right. He will take care of our clothing. Why are we so worried about this? And he says, oh, you of little faith. Now, how many of y'all have lilies at home in your garden? Anybody? Just throw, throw your hand up if you got any. Okay? A few of y'all do. I do. Now, I started to take a picture, and I was like, not a good time to take a picture of lilies right now. Because they are brown and droopy, and they look dead. I mean, I look out, and there's three spots in my yard that have lilies, and they look dead. They look like they're never coming back again. But here's another thing that I've learned in my lifetime. Every spring that I've been alive, the lilies come back. They look dead in the middle of winter every year that I've been alive, but every spring that I've been alive, guess what? They start coming back to life again. How is that possible? When spring comes, they wake up. And yeah, I go out there and take all the dead junk off and either throw it in the woods or burn it up or whatever. But all of a sudden, I slowly start seeing the green start coming back. Then a few days later, and even if I sleep, guess what? The green still comes back. And all of a sudden, by the middle of spring or end of spring, there's these beautiful flowers. And on one section of our yard, there's these orange with black. Anybody got orange and black lilies? They're amazing. They have these little things in the middle and these little, I mean, they're beautiful. And I go, how does that happen? How does God do that? And then over another part of, of our yard, we have some burgundy and yellow ones. And they're beautiful. And they look terrible right now, but they always come back. And my favorite is, you know how we have Easter lilies up here at Christmas? I mean, Christmas, at Easter time. And we get to take one home. I've taken a couple home and planted in my yard. And they come back, y'all. Right now they look dead, but I can't wait till spring to get here because they will come back and I'll be reminded that God has not forgotten about things. That there are seasons in our life where we're droopy, where we feel dead, where we feel depressed and we're not sure what's going to happen. But spring always comes and I believe that's what Jesus is reminding us. Yes, it's difficult to see what's going on in our country and we're wondering what's going to happen. But this is not God's first rodeo. He has watched this throughout history. We need to respond. The lilies don't, when I go over there and they go, oh, do something, give us some fertilizer, Craig, what are we going to do? They don't ever say that. Dig me up, bring me in the house. They don't ever say that. 
They know that they will come back. They completely they trust in the Lord. And Jesus is trying to reassure them and us about God's kingdom. Don't worry about the basics of life, the food, the clothes you wear. Don't go running yourself crazy. Worry about those things as pagans do. Those who don't really know and have a relationship with God. And what we worry about, y'all, in our culture here in the United States is way different than what people in a third world country worry about and concern themselves with. They literally wonder what they're going to eat for their next meal. We worry about where are we going to eat for our next meal and how much are we going to eat for our next meal. And I laugh, I'm guilty as anybody. But God knows all that's happening around the world and he's trying to get us to all see, regardless of whether you're worried about where um, your next meal is coming from or where you're going to eat, you need to trust God in all things of your life. I had a preacher that I worked for named Jack Ballard at that church in Mount, at Mount Carmel. And Jack was very simple about this passage. He says, you know what God says about worry, don't you? And I go, no, what does he say? He says, don't. Don't. And I'm like, that's right. It's a pretty simple sermon. Why don't you just do that, Craig, and we could get out early, you know? But don't. Don't worry. He doesn't, doesn't add a single hour to your life, but he, we do it, and God knows that we do it. And he doesn't want us to. He wants us to fully trust him. But we, as citizens of God's kingdom, should not worry. We should not be in a panic. We should not go into deep depression or anxiety. But we should expect to respond as kingdom citizens and faithfully endure that season of life, knowing that God's going to bring something better, or happily enjoy that the season that is great right now, happily enjoy and celebrate that as we anticipate our final destination. And our final destination, y'all, is this. God has promised in the book of Revelation, no matter how weird it is, in the book of Revelation, God promises that the kingdoms of this world will ultimately be the kingdoms of our God. He will transform all of the mess in the world, and ultimately every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the king. That's going to happen one day. That's not figurative. That is literal that that's going to happen one day. So we, above all people, should be letting people know by the way we behave, by the things that we post, that we believe that, yeah, this is not great right now. I don't understand what's going on with this virus, with the political you know, unrest and all that, but I still believe that God's doing something. We still are going to be able to to sing like the birds. We're still going to come back to life like the lilies. It may be a rough season right now, but we are going to come back and display what God created us to be. So how are you doing with that? I think about the early Christians when Jesus was crucified, those who were closest to him all ran and they all they all hid. I go, oh no, what are we going to do now? We've got to go back to our old life. And then Jesus resurrected and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them when he says, I'm not staying here. Y'all are going to take care of this kingdom work. Well, what? And he gave them the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, Peter and John and those people who said, I don't even know who he is and ran away, they were all of a sudden empowered to say, as the authorities, the same authorities that arrested and killed Jesus came to them and said, you got to stop talking about Jesus. And they go, can't stop talking about Jesus. What I've seen and what I've heard, I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. That's what he's called me to do. I can't stop talking about it. And they threw him in prison. I think about Paul and Silas. They were in the stocks. You don't know what stocks are when they have your arms and your head in there and you're singing. And the other prisoners are watching them. And they're singing hymns in the 
guys are going, what is with these guys? They're celebrating. And there was an earthquake. And then Paul, who used to be throwing people into prisons, is now in prisons. And before he leaves, he doesn't just escape. He says that to the jailers who were afraid, you need to know Jesus. And he stops and tells them the good news of Jesus Christ. And the jailers and all his family were saved. That's how God's kingdom works. He transforms people, even in a rough patch and season in their lives. God's kingdom is concerned with all citizens and brings salvation to all of those people, prisoners and jailers alike. But there will always be seasons of uncertainty. Hear this, y'all. We need to know this. I need to be reminded of this. There will always be seasons of uncertainty in our lives. But we as citizens of God's kingdom must endure those seasons. We must continue seeking God's kingdom and bringing God's kingdom even in spite of those seasons. And there will also be seasons of enjoyment and confidence. But whatever the case, we need to reflect on and celebrate the goodness of our king. Because he's our king. And we need to remember that his kingdom is real. It's not some, you know, oh, that's virtual. You know, that's just a symbolic thing. And we walk out of here and go, yeah, it was really cool. The preacher preached about it. We sang about this kingdom. And then we go back and try to create some other kingdom that's not real. No, God says my kingdom is alive and well. It's mysterious, yes. But let me tell you something. There is not a politician, there is not a party, there is not a president or a leader that's going to bring God's kingdom about because it's already here. Now, they can get on board by their actions and their behaviors and show you that they believe in God's kingdom, but there's no political party that's going to bring about the kingdom of God because it's already here. And Jesus said, it's within you. You will carry my kingdom throughout the world. It's a mysterious kingdom, but it is real. It is not symbolic. It is real. It is available to all people. It is mysterious, and it works in an antagonistic world. Do we not live in an antagonistic world? But in the middle of that antagonistic world, it always calls for a response to make God your king because he's your creator, and he's given you that choice. So we have a choice to either respond and make him the king of our lives or we're going to keep searching for another kingdom that's different from his. So what's it going to be? What's it going to be? I hope you're encouraged this morning. Even the simple thing is the birds and the lilies that remind us that God has got this. Behind the scenes, under the ground, in the life of birds, God is working and controlling things that we don't know. And so we should be more than anybody else as Jesus followers saying, man, what's God going to do next? This looks really bad, but I know he's going to, just around the corner, something really good's going to happen. That's how we should be. That's the kind of kingdom that God has set up.